the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Jesus is God's appointed Messiah's king. The king of kings that must rule in our life is Jesus. Welcome to Reaching Your Heart. Pastor Michael Oxentenko will be here in just a moment with today's message. You know, here at Reaching Your Heart, we believe that God answers prayer. If you need prayer, please call us today at 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Someone is here now to take your prayer request. Today's Reaching Your Heart with Pastor Michael Oxentenko is the conclusion to a message we started the last time we got together entitled, From Bones to Thrones. That's From Bones to Thrones, and we hope that you enjoy it. Remember, you can find the entire message online at reachingyourheart.com. That's reachingyourheart.com. Here's our pastor teacher, Michael Oxentenko, with today's Reaching Your Heart. Hebrews 9, 27. And just as it is appointed for men to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. So he comes not to judge his believers, but to reward them. The judgment precedes his second coming. The judgment of God's people, friends, happens after they die. This verse is clear, before the second coming. And it's over when Jesus comes because he comes to give them a reward without reference to sin. This judgment of the righteous dead is a proxy judgment. God will not allow those who have confessed Christ to stand before the judgment bar of God. In that first phase of judgment, Jesus will represent them just like he did at the cross. In the book of Daniel, the books are open in Daniel 7 at the time of the end, around the year 1800. When the Fourth World Empire, the Holy Roman Empire, comes to an end around the year 1798 to 1806, the books are opened. The forced beast comes down. It's the end of the world order, the beginning of nationalism. In Daniel 7, 13, and 14, Jesus, representing the human race as the Son of Man, comes before the Ancient of Days to receive his kingdom in this judgment. In Daniel 7, 22, once he receives it, he gives it to God's people, and then it comes here. The Bible says that this investigative judgment is for the saints in Daniel 7.22. And the key phrase in Daniel 7.22, it is for the saints. I've been in places where people say, Pastor Mike, the investigative judgment scares me to death. Why would it scare you to death if you have Jesus as your Savior and He is representing you in the judgment and you can stay here? How many of you like to go to court? Anyone here who loves going to court? I have been in court more times than you can imagine for this church to be built. I do not like going to court. Some people like going to court. I don't. Imagine Jesus going to court and fixing it for you so that based on the cross, your record, your life is judged and his virtue stands for you. It is an outworking of Jesus' victory at the cross for his people. Jesus took our place at the cross of Calvary. In the judgment, Jesus will stand for us as our holy high priest representative and he will confess our name before the Father and his angels. 
So because of Jesus, this judgment is not against us, it is for us. Three verses bear this out. Turn to Matthew 18, 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king, what does the text say? Who wished to do what? To settle accounts with his servants. And that's an investigative judgment. Daniel 7, the kingdom of heaven is when the Son of Man comes to the ancient days in the judgment. Look at Luke 19, 12. He said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to do what? To receive his kingdom, then return. So the kingdom of heaven is an accounting. It's an investigative judgment. But it happens when the nobleman who is Christ leaves the earth at his ascension. He goes into the far off country that is heaven. He receives his kingdom in this investigative judgment. And then he returns. That's what these two verses are saying together. So the kingdom judgment in heaven just before the second coming is hugely important. When it's over, Jesus comes back and we receive the kingdom. Look at Revelation eleven nineteen. Now this is a very clear description of this. The nations raged, but thy wrath came. That's the mark of the beast test. And the time for the dead to be judged, for rewarding thy servants, the prophets and saints. That's an investigative judgment we have here learned about for the purpose of rewarding God's people. And then it says, and those who fear thy name, it moves to the living at the time of the end. Both small and great, everyone's in it who is a believer in the context for destroying the destroyers of the earth. It will bring the world to an end. Verse 19, now, here's the focus. Then God's temple in heaven was opened and the ark of his covenant was seen within his temple. Now what room is the ark of the covenant in? Holy or most holy place? So this judgment is not a focus upon the holy place in the heavenly sanctuary. This Judgment is focused on what room? The most holy place. The investigative judgment is when God opens heaven. The Ark of the Covenant is seen. The Ark contains the law. It represents God's throne. There is a movement into the presence of God, just like Daniel 7. The Ark of the Covenant, friend, contains the Ten Commandment law of God, and the law is in heaven. Jesus said, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The law didn't start here. It started there. It is who God is. The throne is the Ark of the Covenant. And notice the text that as soon as the judgment ends, the end comes for the whole world. And it says in verse 19, the end of it, there were flashes of lightning, voices, peals of thunder, and earthquake and heavy hail. So we are living, friends, based on Scripture, in the antitypical day of atonement. We're living in the phase of judgment where Christ has come before the Ancient of Days to receive His kingdom. When that judgment is over, Jesus is coming back. He will move from the dead to the living at the time of the end. That is phase two of the judgment, the investigative judgment for God's people in heaven just before Jesus comes back. It's good news because it's for us. The third phase of the judgment is for us to sit on thrones and judge the world and fallen angels too. And this is an amazing verse I'm going to show you. Turn to 1 Corinthians 6. Look at verses 2 to 3. Paul is speaking to the Corinthian church that's arguing a lot, unable to settle disputes. And here's what he says. Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you not incompetent to try trivial cases? Verse 3. Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more matters pertaining to this life? Have you ever thought about that? You will sit on a judgment chair judging evil angels? That's what Paul is saying. After the second coming, the investigative judgment moves from the righteous to those who are lost. And the devil's angels are now, their records are reviewed in this investigative judgment in heaven after Jesus returns. He takes us into heaven. 
The books will be opened again for them. We will be in that phase of the judgment. And the saints will move from bones to thrones. They're resurrected as we judge the world and evil angels also. The Bible teaches that God's people will be resurrected in the resurrection of the just when Jesus comes. The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with the cry of command, with the voice of the archangel. And the dead in Christ will come alive, Paul says, and they'll be taken up to meet the Lord in the air. And we don't stay here. We go to the judgment. We reign with God a thousand years. And the move from bones to thrones will exalt his people. From death to life they will reign. From the grave to exaltation and authority and honor. With Jesus they will live. The saints will judge the fallen world and evil angels also. Turn to Revelation 20 verse 4. In Revelation 19 we have the second coming. We've talked about that in previous weeks here. The beast and the false prophet are captured when Christ comes on that white horse. The throne of the lake of fire. The wicked who are living are killed by the sword in the mouth of Christ. That is the fire that destroys them. In Revelation 21 to 3, as soon as that happens, the devil is chained by a great and mighty angel. He's thrown into the abyss for a thousand years. He goes to jail. Satan gets stuck here on earth. The earth is a destroyed planet. It becomes a water void like it was at the dawn of time. He goes back to the jailhouse he was in before God created the world. But look what happens in Revelation 20 verse 4. Then I saw thrones, and seated on them were those to whom judgment was committed. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their testimony to Jesus and for the word of God, and who had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. And that's end time stuff he's talking about here. They came to life and they reigned with Christ a thousand years. Imagine that. Going down for Jesus. Losing your life for the cause of Christ. It looks like you've given everything. It doesn't matter. And suddenly God calls you to life in Christ to the coming of Jesus. And they go from bones to thrones. They're resurrected and they're in the presence of the Lord. Absorb this. They come to life and they reign. Verse 5. The Bible says the rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. That's the wicked dead. So there are two resurrections. The resurrection of the righteous on the first side of the millennium the resurrection of the wicked on the other side of the millennium. And so that first resurrection, it says this is the first resurrection. The righteous come to life. Friends, the saints are resurrected first, the wicked next. But in between is this time when God's people sit on thrones and they judge the world, the fallen world that didn't make it, and they judge angels. They collaborate to understand why they didn't make it. The earth is void and empty for a thousand years, and so the devil is in the bottomless pit chained up for a thousand years. Let me pause here. Why would God go through all this trouble to open the book so many times? I'm going to tell you why. God doesn't want there to be one question in the mind of one intelligent being in His universe, be it angel or someone on some distant world that He has created or a human being who is resurrected, that God is not just and fair. We will see the evidence. And when it is over, no one will point a finger at God. Sin will never rise again. It will be seen that God is love and there will be no questions left that sin was an awful experiment. It will never be repeated. So the earth is void and empty for a thousand years and the devil is in the bottomless pit chained up for a thousand years. Look at verse 6. It says, Blessed and holy is he who shares in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and they shall reign with Him. How long? What does it say? A thousand years. How many of you want to sit on a throne for a thousand years and try the royal thing out? God's throne has wheels in Daniel 7. 
and fire comes out from it. It's a hot rod. How many of you like to play with a Lamborghini for a thousand years? God doesn't put us on boring thrones. We'll travel through the universe on our thrones. This guy who went across the English Channel on that rocket board or whatever it was, imagine having a throne that can do that. I hath not seen, nor has it entered the heart of man, what God has prepared for those who love Him from bones to thrones. I want to be there. This is the third phase of the judgment. When the righteous go to heaven, they sit on those thrones and they judge angels and the fallen world. The final phase of the judgment is the fourth phase, the executive phase. When the holy city comes down from heaven, Revelation, it comes down from heaven. I could show you, but not today, that it descends upon the Mount of Olives the very spot where the cross of Christ was planted. And the throne of God zeroes in into the place where the Son of God was broken and away from the Father. And that will become the center of the universe. And the Mount of Olives will split and the sunshine will break the barrier. And the dead will be resurrected, the Bible says in Revelation. And they will come like a great sea, like Gog and Magog, up against the holy city to surround it. And this will be the last showdown between good and evil. At the end of the millennium, resurrected evil people, evil angels leading the way, Satan loosed from his prison to attack the holy city. The fourth phase is the executive judgment when a God of love will destroy evil on the last day. Look at Revelation 21, verse 2. The Bible says, I saw the holy city of New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Heaven is moving here at the end of the millennium. God's throne will be planted here. Look at verse 7, Revelation 20, the previous chapter. And when the thousand years are ended, Satan will be loosed from his prison. He will come out to deceive the nations which are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea. And they marched up over the broad earth, surrounded the camp of the saints, the beloved city. And what does the text say? But fire came where? Down from heaven and did what? consumed them. That means destroyed them. There comes a day when evil will not live one day longer. It will die. Just before they are destroyed, something happens. The books are open for the last time. And the evil ones look inside the books. I've always wondered, what are these books? I think I know. How many of you have a good memory? Do you realize that if a neurosurgeon touches your brain in the right spot, you can remember anything? The books are right here in our own heads. He opens the books, the memories of what people have done. And they see in their own mind where they didn't value the cross of Christ. And they are lost. And they see the cross of Christ in contrast to their hard-hearted faithlessness. Revelation 20, verse 11, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat upon it from his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. And also another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged by what was written in the books. And notice the focus of this judgment, by what they had done. The wicked will be judged by their works. You know, there are people who boast about how perfect their life is. Friends, your life is not perfect enough for the judgment day. If you're focusing on that, you won't pass the scrutiny of the judgment day because the Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The only book that gets us into the kingdom is the Lamb's book of life. If we're in that book and connected to Jesus, God will weigh out the fact that we have sinned. He will weigh it against the fact that Jesus died for our sins. 
But this group of people aren't interested in the cross and a Savior. They want to talk about their own achievements. Friend, the doctrine of perfectionism that would have you rely upon your achievements at the time of the end will take you straight to the resurrection of the wicked at the end of the millennium because you cannot stand in the judgment day based on the merits of your own works. I believe in Christian perfection, but not that doctrine of perfectionism. We must always seize the cross of Christ as our right to righteousness and our right to know God and to be admitted into heaven. Verse 13, the sea gave up the dead and death and Hades gave up the dead in them and all were judged by what they had done. Friend, if you want to trust your works, you won't make it. Pastor Michael Oxentenko will be back in just a moment. Reaching Your Heart is a listener-funded program. We step out in faith to purchase airtime on this station because we believe God is working through this radio ministry to touch tens of thousands of lives. Each of our messages is prayed over, biblical messages of hope and Bible truth. To continue, we need your support. We do not have a large ministry fundraising machine. We operate totally by faith. Call our toll-free number to make your contribution of any size today. That number is 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Here now, once again, Pastor Michael Oxentenko. you want to trust Jesus, God will work in you to change your life. You will make it. Verse 14, then death and Hades were thrown in the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name, and here's the focus of this, if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, that's the Lamb's book of life. In other words, if they're not connected to Jesus by faith, he was thrown in the lake of fire. The bottom line is, what do you do with Jesus in your life? You cannot afford to ignore him. The book of life is Jesus' book, and that's where our names be. A few months ago, I got caught in a speeding trap. Has that ever happened to any of you? No. Dishonesty has come upon the congregation. Sure it has. We had a water pipe break in the church, and there was the plumber here trying to fix it. And I just dropped off my car at the dealership when he called and says, I'm here, and so I was racing back to get him. It was a rental car, so I wasn't quite used to it. See, I'm making excuses. You like that? When I saw the officer standing with a radar gun aimed at me, my heart sank. What do you do? You often hit the brake. That doesn't help because you know you hit the brake. He got me going just a few miles over the speed limit. Isn't that what we all say? It was more than that. So when he came to my window, I was scared of the law and a little scared of him. I didn't want my points to go up so my insurance would go up. So I said, Officer... Can I go to driving school or something like that to keep my points down? I'm a pastor. I don't have much money. Please help me. Have mercy on me. Have you ever done that? He looked at me. He said, I'm the law, man. What are you talking about? Have mercy. I'll lower your speed a little bit so it doesn't look as bad. But you need to go to the judge. You've got to go to court to get the mercy. I said, great. Thank you, officer. He said, you know, friend, you need to ask for a trial and go to court to receive mercy. And I wanted mercy right then and there when he served me. He said, in court, you better plead guilty. Now, I'm telling you, pastor, it's how it works. I was listening. In court, you better plead guilty. I'll be there. And if you plead you're not guilty, you're going to really get it. Don't act like you weren't guilty before the judge. You were guilty. That was quite a statement. 
And so I promised to plead guilty and ask for mercy. He told me to explain to the judge that I had some reasons for why I was going fast, that there were some circumstances, but most of all, explain to the judge that you need mercy. The judge likes to hear that. Explain your circumstances, and let's see what he will do for you, not you for yourself. And so when the notice came in the mail, it arrived. I asked for a trial. I checked off the box that says, I want to go to trial, the judgment. Boy, that was a scary idea. Early in the morning, I got up, and I went to court. I barely got there on time. They had a traffic jam. If you're late to court, you know what? You're guilty. So I had to get there on time. The court was packed with people just like me and others who had barely made it in time, but all of them most likely had broken the law. Some offenses were serious, like battery, but others like mine were not so serious. But every one of those offenses brought us before the judge. We were all there in court before the judge. We were all in court because we'd all been accused of breaking the law. And when the cases came for the police officer, the guy that got me, he didn't show up in court. Oh, amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Joy to see the day. Right? Now, there's an old, old song back in the civil rights movement that went like that. Everyone with a ticket was off the hook because the traffic cop officer who had taken you know, the readings didn't show up. Now, I had made a promise that I would plead guilty. So one by one, they went before the colorful judge. And he was a colorful judge. He enjoyed his role. And they simply said, not guilty. And the judge with a smile and a smirk threw it out of the court. But then my name came up, Michael Oxentanko. That was near the end because the O is near the end of the alphabet. I had promised the officer that I would plead guilty because I had broken the law. I had prayed that morning to do the right thing. And so I came before the judge and I said, Your Honor, I'm a Christian. I'm not a perfect person. But I prayed this morning and I cannot honestly claim that I am not guilty of breaking the law. I said, I asked God to be with me. I want to be honest today with you as I stand before this court and the court of heaven that you and Your Honor, the judge, will realize I'm trying to interact with the truth today. The whole courtroom became silent. Everyone was looking at me. This was a different thing happening. I prayed. I didn't have peace with any other decision that. They all lied to get off the hook because they were all guilty. And I didn't want to lie that day. I wanted to go home right with God in the court of heaven. The judge looked at me for a long moment. And then he turned to me and he said, Sir, I want to explain to you right now, I'm the judge here today. You're not the judge. I want to explain to you how jurisprudence works in the United States of America. If the accuser does not appear to defend the evidence against you, then you can honestly claim that you're not guilty in the eyes of the law because of the lack of evidence. I said, Your Honor, since you're the judge, are you telling me it's okay that I can say not guilty? And he shook his head up and down. Yes. I said, well, Your Honor, because you're the judge, I plead now not guilty. He told me that it was okay because the court can be merciful to someone who has broken the law if there is no evidence admitted in court against them. Do you realize what Jesus has done for you? At the cross of Christ, He died for you. The accuser of the brethren for 4,000 years stood at the gates of God accusing the human race. At the cross, He was thrown down. He had no right to have access to the heavenly realm. 
And so the evidence is not admissible for God's people if Jesus represents us in the judgment. God is for us, not against us. James, the brother of Jesus, said this in James 2, 12 to 13. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy, yet mercy triumphs over judgment. God's law has mercy in it. In the investigative judgment, Jesus will represent you before the throne of God. The devil will not be there with any of his slanted evidence or twisted accusations leveled against you. The law is a law of mercy in Jesus because mercy is the first principle of God's name, Yahweh. Jesus will stand for you. And friend, when that judgment is over, Jesus will come back on the last day. He will resurrect those who love him. And God's saints will move from bones to thrones They will reign with him for a thousand years. Even so, come, Lord Jesus, from bones to thrones, we will reign with Jesus, our Savior. God bless you. That will conclude From Bones to Thrones, today's Reaching Your Heart with our pastor teacher, Michael Oxentenko. Again, remember, you can find this broadcast online at reachingyourheart.com. That's reachingyourheart.com, along with many other messages available there for you. We appreciate you listening here today. Are you fascinated by the prophecies of Revelation? Have you wished that you could understand prophecy better? Do the symbols of the Bible's last book baffle you? God's last altar call is just the book you need. Mark Finley clearly explains the events soon to unfold in this world. Be sure to call today for your copy. It's yours for a donation of any size. Thank you for your generosity. Thank you for listening. Your donations keep this ministry on the air. 855-888-4673 is the telephone number to call. 855-888-4673-855-888-4673 or reachingyourheart.com. Thanks for listening today. And as always, we do pray that God is reaching your heart.